Welcome everyone to Celtic Preacher, Podcast 40, looking at the wisdom of Jesus for the 21st century. You know, there's going to be times in our lives that people will simply not agree with us, they will misunderstand us, they will criticize us, and I think maybe one of the hardest things is too is they just won't understand where we're coming from. Have you ever felt that? You know, it's not that people don't like you necessarily, it's that you sense that they just really don't understand where you're coming from. Well, Jesus' friend, Mary, finds herself in this position in in today's passage. Now, I should mention something about Mary. Jesus had a lot of Marys in his life. It's kind of confusing because his mother's name was Mary. And then there was Mary Magdalene. She's kind of well known. And then there was another Mary. And it's the other Mary, his buddy Mary, his friend Mary, that we're going to be talking about today. And her story's in John, Gospel of John, chapter 12. Now, what's interesting about Mary is, is that when you read this passage, that she spends no time defending herself when she's criticized. Now, that's kind of unusual. She's perfectly at peace knowing she did what she needed to do. Whether those around her understood or not, she's perfectly at peace. So we can learn a lot from her. So I'm going to be looking at Mary, it's called Mary anointing Jesus' feet. It's a, it's a display of gratitude and affection. And it's something that she did publicly about six days before he died on the cross. Basically, Jesus is invited to her home. She lives with her sister Martha and brother Lazarus. So what we have in this story is uh, an, an unusual display of gratitude and affection. This is a sort of public display of affection. It happens six days before the crucifixion. Basically what Mary does is, is that she pours costly perfumed oil over his feet while he's sitting at the dinner table and she wipes his feet, Jesus' feet, with her hair. Most unusual. It was unusual 2,000 years ago and it would certainly be unusual today. So she invites Jesus to dinner. The disciples are there. Her brother's there, Lazarus. Martha, her sister's there. He's sitting at the table. She breaks this jar of oil, fragrant oil, over his feet in front of all the disciples and Martha and brother and Lazarus and then wipes the oil with her long hair. Yeah, kind of an unusual scene, isn't it? Now, this is the Mary, by the way, whose brother Lazarus, he's, uh, his story's in John chapter 11, but he's the brother who died and was buried and the one that Jesus revived. In fact, this family was very, very special to Jesus. Martha, Mary, Lazarus. These were his buddies. The text tells us that Lazarus, when he died, 
uh, he was, Jesus was told, the one you love has died, or the one you love is sick. So this was kind of a special family to him. So when he wasn't teaching and he wasn't with his disciples, he'd be with, with, these, with, the, with these three, Martha, Mary, Lazarus. The healing of Lazarus was the final miracle, the final healing before Jesus died on the cross. This was when Lazarus was raised up, Jesus' enemies, when they heard about it, they said, okay, that's it. The whole world is going to go after him. He has got to be stopped. He's got to be arrested. So Jesus didn't really live that long after the healing of Lazarus. But this setting is six days before the crucifixion. He's at this dinner party. All the disciples are there. Now, nobody knows exactly when Jesus will be arrested, but it is a tense time because Jesus is a marked man. The closer we get to the crucifixion, um, the more dangerous it's becoming. Jesus isn't moving around freely anymore. He's not teaching publicly anymore. He's not hanging around where his enemies can see him. So tonight, when this passage takes place, this story takes place, he's with Lazarus, Mary, Martha. They have a special dinner to honor him. And as they're sitting at the table, right out of the blue, and this came as a complete shock to everyone except Jesus, Mary brings out this jar this alabaster jar of nard worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and pours the nard over his feet. Apparently it was a spicy, musky smell, kind of sweet and earthy. How do people know that? Well, I guess they found some in King Tut's tomb. So that's how they know that it was sweet and spicy and musky. Anyway, apparently it's, it's worth a year's salary. So the whole family must have had some extra cash and the fragrance fills the air. Kind of a strange, confusing thing to do in some ways, although Jesus doesn't find it confusing at all. And Mary doesn't really care what anyone thinks. In fact, Mary isn't really, she's not really the kind of woman who pays attention to what people think or what is proper or what is conventional or what is expected of her. By the way, this is the same Mary that sat at Jesus' feet. Now, that doesn't mean anything for us, right? This is from Luke 10. It says that this is the Mary and Martha. Martha's in the kitchen and she's busy fixing the meal. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. That phrase doesn't mean much to us, but traditionally, that's what the men did. That was the place of a disciple. If you were sitting at the rabbi's feet, you were putting yourself in the place of a student. So when Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, she's a disciple. She's learning about the wisdom of Jesus. She's following Jesus. Now, conventionally, 2,000 years ago, patriarchal culture, women were in supportive roles. They raised the children, they looked after their husbands, they looked after their relatives. Well, obviously, Mary is anything but conventional. 
and she's not a traditionalist, and she takes no thought to what anyone might think. And by the way, she did get into trouble for sitting at Jesus' feet. Her sister started to criticize her, and Jesus immediately came to her defense and said, leave her alone, leave her alone. She's chosen the right thing to do. Now and then, in this passage, she's pouring this oil all over his feet, and then she's wiping his feet with her hair. Now, I have a theory on why she didn't care who saw this or what they might think. And it's just a theory, mind you. I really don't know what was going on inside her head. But here's the thing. Her brother had just been raised up. Remember, he had, he had, had more than a close brush with death. He's been restored, and he's there. That's one thing that's newly happened. Second thing is, is that they have a sense that their time is short. They don't know when he will be arrested or if he will be arrested, but they're becoming concerned. He's, Jesus is a marked, a marked man. Mary didn't know when he would die, but she knew enough to know that maybe this is her last chance. I mean, if she needs to say something or if she needs to do something, this is the time. And there's something about great love and potential loss that throws all caution to the wind. You know, that, that, that mix of the two uh, emotions. You know, when, when you experience deep love or overwhelming pain or loss or disappointment, these emotions can crack you open, can't they? I mean, you, you can lose your composure. You don't really care what people think. You're not about protecting your ego at such times. You don't care about such trivial matters. Such is the power of deep love or overwhelming grief or loss. And when you, when you marry these two together, love and loss, which I would think most of us have experienced if we've ever been rejected by someone we love or if we've lost someone we love, we, we know this, we've experienced this. Maybe this mix, this deep devotion, and the possibility that Mary might lose Jesus if he's arrested, gave her impetus to throw all caution to the wind and break the jar of oil, of nard, over his feet. It's like, this can be my last chance. Life is dangerous for us. Jesus has a price in his head. There are people that want him dead. This is my last chance to show him how much he means to me. And so she anoints him at the table with this extravagant devotion. And of course, of course, she's criticized. Of course. Who can understand deep love like this? Not Judas, who is the one who criticizes. He sees her action, and immediately he makes a judgment. What a waste of money, he says. This oil could have been sold and given to the poor. Of course, he has no interest in the poor. He wants to pocket some of the money after the perfume sold. But here's the part that really struck me. Look at this in this passage. Mary says 
Nothing. She does not defend her actions. Jesus defends her. Mary says absolutely nothing. No explanation. No defense. Most unusual. Because most people are quick to defend their actions. We want to be seen as right. We want to be seen as doing the right thing. We want others to know we have reasons for doing what we say and do or what we don't do. Right? We want others' approval. Think of the last argument. Think of the last disagreement you had. Think of the last time you simply had to prove your way was the right way. It happens all the time. Right? And not only do we defend ourselves and our actions to others, but we defend ourselves to ourselves. Right? We say things like, well, I had to say that otherwise, you know, and then we make up the story. Well, I had to, I had to say no because, and then we make up a story. Well, I had to answer the emails this way because I answer the story. You know, our fragile little self is forever needing shoring up and patted on the head. It's like there's a part of us that's like, there, there, you know, you're okay. You're right. She's wrong. You're right. Well, there's something very freeing about truly being your own person and doing what you believe is the right thing, even if you're not affirmed. You know, so much of the time, people cannot grow into their true self because there's always that nagging doubt. Well, maybe, fill in the blank, this person's name will, will get angry. So I can't really say that. Or maybe, fill in the person's name, maybe, maybe this person will get their feelings hurt or, or maybe this person will misunderstand. And so we hold back never truly expressing our true self. Suppressing, really, our God-given passions that could spur us on to great things for ourselves and the kingdom. And when I'm talking about God's kingdom, I'm talking about basically it's just God's healing energy in the world. Yeah, you know, when we're suppressing everything, we're holding back all the good too. Mary says absolutely nothing when she's criticized. Jesus comes to her defense. Verse 7. Leave it alone, he says. Leave it alone, Judas. It was intended she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor with you. You will not always have me. Leave it alone. Jesus defends her. That's great, you know. It's, it's enough for Mary to know her heart was pure. She's motivated by love. She doesn't need anyone else's approval. This is the second time, by the way, that Jesus came to her defense. When she's criticized by her sister for taking the place of a disciple sitting at the rabbi's feet, he comes to her defense there in that passage too. Leave it alone. She's chosen the right thing to do. In both 
texts, Mary says absolutely nothing. She has no need to defend herself. What a wonderful spiritual truth this is, that when the heart is pure, meaning when our motives are good, when we act with right intentions, it's enough that God knows. It's enough. Even if people misunderstand, even if people criticize us, even if people don't understand us, they don't understand where we're coming from, when we act with the right intention, it's enough. God knows our heart. Jesus comes to her defense. Now, the Psalms are filled with affirmation that God is our defense. Like, for example, if you read Psalm 18, now this was written thousands of years before Jesus walked on the earth, but the psalmist speaks about God being our fortress and a strong tower and a rock. You know, a mighty fortress is our God. Or the psalmist writes about God being our shield and our stronghold. Now, these are all ancient, ancient images of defense in battle. So it's like, well, okay, well, why would I need that? You know, I'm not living in a war-torn land. Why would I need that? Well, St. <laughs> Paul says, the battles that we face aren't just against people. The battles we face aren't against people. St. Paul says, the battles that we face are within he calls them principalities and powers. It's like strong forces pulling us one way or another. We've all experienced this. Internal unrest. It's a battle. Insecurity. It's a battle. Fears. Anxiety. Anger. Resentment. Misunderstanding. These are internal battles. In the midst of these battles, God says, I'm your defense. Let that be enough. When people misunderstand you, so be it. God is my defense. When people don't affirm you, acknowledge you, recognize you, get where you're coming from, hey, God is my defense. It's enough. This is where Mary's coming from. Knowing this can change our lives. No more worrying about others' approval when you have God's hand upon you, right? Talk about learning how to live in freedom. Saying yes when you mean yes. Saying no when you mean no. Complete freedom. Taking action when you need to whether people understand or not, if Mary lived for the approval of others, she would never have taken the risk of breaking that jar of nard, spike nard oil, over Jesus' feet. I mean, she would never have done that. She would never be sitting at the rabbi's feet, learning to be a disciple. She would never have done that. All the greats, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, understood this. They had to become their own person. St. Paul said, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or God? 
Paul said in Galatians, if I was trying to please people, if I was still trying to please people, I couldn't even be a servant of Christ, Paul said. In other words, he's saying it's just not possible. You can't, you can't, you can't please people and also be true to yourself. Mary acted the same way. And Jesus defended her. God sees the heart. She's a free woman. She's a free woman. She's free to think and act and do what she believes is her calling and her place and her desire. She's free to live her life without holding back. Yes, there is the heart cry. There's the prayer. God, keep on leading us deeper and deeper into this kind of freedom. Help us to move ahead in spite of misunderstanding and criticism. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. We've been looking at the wisdom of Jesus for the 21st century. Join with me again next week for another episode.